guys, welcome to another episode of So Here's What Happened. As usual, I'm your host, Nisha, and I'm joined by my host, Carolyn. Yes, we are back and we are doing something a little special. In honor of HBO's new show, Lovecraft Country, we have decided to do recap episodes. Every two episodes, Carolyn and I will talk about just what we will get into it all. <laughs> I think that was kind of like the whole point of it is that we just wanted to have time to discuss the episodes and what's going on in the show, like how did we like them, did we love them, did we hate them, all that good stuff, and also break down some things. So this is the first recap episode. We are going to discuss episodes one and two, and Carolyn, I'll let you take it away with the summaries. Okay, so uh, we'll give the summary for episode one first, and then mm-hmm. we'll... And then we'll get into one, we'll discuss episode one, and then I guess we'll get into episode two, and then I'll give the summary for that. So the synopsis for episode one of Lovecraft Country, which is titled Sundown, is Atticus Freeman meets up with his friend Letitia and his uncle George to embark on a road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America in search of his missing father. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, that one is a pretty short synopsis, but that is literally just the. I think I, yeah, I think for first episode, like they they don't want to give too much away. They're like, yeah, yeah characters, and this is their, this is what they're doing, and that really doesn't capsulate the first episode with regards to synopsis. And yes. so I guess we'll get into it, and we'll discuss the things we really liked and the and the parts that really interested interest us, and then when we discuss episode two. We'll mm-hmm. talk about how certain themes from episode one carry to episode two, which is how the our recap episodes are going to continue for the remainder of the season. Since we're yep. doing bi-weekly, we'll be covering two episodes every podcast episode. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the general theme. So we'll discuss the first ep- the, the preceding episodes, and then for the set the second set of episodes, we'll discuss the running themes, which is how the show actually um, is structured because I've seen the yeah. first episodes through screeners and like there are things that pick back up into each successive episode, which is mm-hmm. what I think is being done really well. So I agree. episode one, Misha, you can go first and we'll mm-hmm. talk about the things because I'm going to let you go first because I've written my reviews, um, two of my gotcha. traps are on comicspeed.com. So I'll let you go first. And so you get a chance to talk about what you really liked about episode one. Okay. So what I really liked about episode one is one, like, first off, cinema, cinematography-wise, mm-hmm. I think this is just a beautifully shot, like, it feels like a movie in a way, but, like, it's HBO, so they got the budget, but it also is just, like, I think it's beautifully shot. I love so much about how it introduces us to Atticus with the dream sequence in the beginning, because at first you're just, like, you think it's one thing, and then it slowly turns and it expands into another thing, and I've told people this on, like, I think I've talked about it on here before. It's like, I love the, I don't want to say it's a trope, but I do want to say it's a storytelling tool. It's like, I think the term of it is the cave where like, you only know as much as you're seeing, as you're seeing, as the characters are seeing. And then as the story progresses, you see more as the characters are learning. And then the story just morphs into something else entirely different. And I think that is a good way to describe it. Cause you said like, they don't give a lot of way in the premise because like when you go into it, you're just like, so they're going on a cross country trip to go look for someone who's missing. It doesn't mention anything about the sci-fi and the horror and the monsters, which I think is phenomenal. And the way they're doing the storytelling as in like sundown towns. Like I thought, I think this one, I don't want to say just cause it's the first one that it's my favorite, but I did really enjoy the use of like, for those who don't know, um, for the listeners who don't know what a sundown town and it is. It was referred to as a sundown town and Jim Crow era. And still to this day, there are sundown towns where it was not good for you, a Black person, to be there if you were in a sundown town because they most likely would have killed you yeah. or lynched you or, like, they would have tortured you is mm-hmm. the... I just remember going on, like, family road trips and then, like, us not stopping um, in certain places or completely avoiding it. And it wasn't until I got older and my parents were like, no, those are sundown towns. We don't go there. Or, like, not even during the day would it be safe to be there? So it's like, I love how they worked that into the storytelling, given the setting that this is taking place. Um, I really like all the characters, but it's, it's just, it's a lot of stuff to like. And I just, I really like how they introduce the sci-fi. Well, I don't know if it's sci-fi and horror. I feel it's, it's both in a way. 
Um, but in episode one, I think it's more more horror elements. I like how that was introduced through the term of sundown towns, and like mm-hmm. how it, it it morphs from a grounded story to now a horror story. I thought mm-hmm. that was very interesting how they did that. What about you? Um, I like it. I really love how, as as you said, it's about it's about horror and it has all these different genres. It's horror, action, supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, it's thriller. It's family drama. Yeah. And I think what um, Misha Green is doing is balancing all of these genres really well to me, anyway. And the way how she uses each of them to to um, I guess you could say identify certain experiences that black people go through, especially that black um black Americans experience. Um, mm-hmm. because like you can see being a black person in America or in North America, it can be a horrific experience because of racism and bigotry, right? And sexism and all these and all the and all the isms that go along with it. And then there's supernatural because like um, we as black people also believe in in our in how in connecting to our ancestors and and we talk about our ancestry and things like generational curses and mm-hmm. and and um and oh my gosh, there's I can't remember the term for it. Say like when um, tra- it's called transgenerational trauma. And yeah. There's those elements, and then there's the family dynamics and the family drama where we as a black people are very community oriented and we're very connected to our family members and how we see each other and how we are very. When I say community oriented, not just as our immediate family members, but how we are very willing to accept people who are not our blood family into our families and Mm -hmm. how we call like women, auntie and grands and men, uncles and cousins, even though they're not like biologically related to us. Right. So there's all of these ways that all of these tie into the storyline. And that's one of the things I really love. And so Sundown really is more about the horror aspect of it where you talk about like racism and the horrors of racism. And I think that's what she mm-hmm. does with, from the episodes that I've seen so far. Like each, sorry, each specific episode has a specific theme. So I think the first episode is horror and the, and the horror of racism. And yes. for episode two, it's, this, it's about the, the supernatural element where, and I think this goes into big episode three, but I'm not gonna spot episode three. But for mm-hmm. episode two, it's a little bit of the horror, but it's also a little bit of the, uh, it's a little bit of the supernatural where you talk about ancestry and it's about the fam and it's also about the, I guess you could say the sociological aspects of where you talk about family and dynamics and where you talk about, um, and where they talk about uh, like, yeah I, yeah, I would say, I would say um, sociology because they talk about like um, um, things like sexism and feminism and like you know getting a seat at the table kind of thing so right that so for sundown um it was i think it's also a really good introduction to the characters and it really introduces us into the world of lovecast country really well and mm-hmm. we these people are immediately we know that like, leticia is a badass we know that atticus is a nerd and uncle george is a nerd and we also know that he's um, a very supportive character like he, he's very inspirational he always tells them like to like there's moments where he pissed me off because like things that he said to Leticia, but then he's also, he tells him like, we can do this, I like, don't let them um, scare you. And then there's his wife, play, his wife, Hippolyta, played by Angelou Alice. And you can tell that she's a mother figure, but she also has a very, a very um, strong inner strength where she, as a woman, she's like, I believe in myself as a woman. And then there's their daughter, Diana, who is this nerdy black girl that I can't wait to see more of her. Um, so yeah, I think like Sundown does a really good job introducing us to the characters, to the storyline, and show and giving us the specific right. elements that make up the show. No, I agree, and I think that's like so much you said right there is like what kind of leads to my point is like the characters is that I think episode one does a really good job of setting the tone of the characters. Like you said, like we know that Atticus is a bit of a nerd that we can get like from the impression that he's that he left with other people when he left when he went off the war to when he came back and people see him as like, well, you grew up, you became like a man. And then like, there's just like Atticus seems to still retain his interests in himself. Like, but like, there's also, it seems like, you know, Atticus has seen some stuff. Then like, you get the sense that there's that with like the dream sequence and like, you yeah. kind of hints that like, there might be some post-traumatic drama going on there. And then 
I do like how the show is setting up for the characters to have bigger roles. I will say that, like, I called... I don't want to... Well, we'll, we'll, once we transition to episode two, I'll I'll say what I called from episode one. But I I do appreciate all the characters. I do like that, especially that the women don't seem one-dimensional. And that was really big for me because, like, whenever we do period pieces in films, like, especially when it's, like, a Black-led period piece, I'm usually, like, don't... I don't want the mom to just be a mom. And I like that right off mm-hmm. the back that we know we can tell that, like, oh, she's not just a mom. Like, she's confident in her ability. Like, she's confident in her work. Like, she knows that she's capable. And, like... And she says that she's capable. She doesn't hide it to herself that she's capable. She's, she says that she's capable to her husband. And I mean, his whole thing, it comes from a protective place, not from a misogynistic place, per se. Even though, like, given the time, I'm not shocked that he keeps calling Letitia girl until Letitia mm-hmm. has to tell him it's Letitia effing Lewis. And I'm like, favorite, one of my favorite parts. But I know, right? It's so good. It's so powerful. But then it's also just like, you can see when he acknowledges, like, he probably like, okay, my bad. That was wrong of me. So I'm like, and Courtney B. Vance is a great actor. Like, I love him as Uncle George. Um, and it's, it's just like so much. But like you said, like, I love, like, how these characters are like really set up in episode one. And then we learn more about them as they're just like going on this journey with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And, so and, and, right, and so now we'll get a little bit more into the plot, and um, yeah, so like we we as we said, we know that Atticus or Tick, as he's known, um, mm-hmm. he's, the the show starts out with a dream sequence, this really interesting dream sequence. At first, I was like, "What's going on?" But then when I did my second rewatch of it, and like, I paid really right. attention to the details. So I'm guessing this because I've never read the Lovecraft the, the book the show is based on or any of Lovecraft's books. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that these characters are callbacks to characters from in his um, yeah from in those books. So like you have the multi tentacle monster, you have um, Martian spaceships, you have this woman that comes out. So like her, I I recognize because I believe she's supposed to be the she's the Princess, Princess of Mars. Of Mars, which is mm-hmm. um, which is not from a Lovecraft book, but that's from a book by uh, yeah, it's, uh, Edward John Rice Carter. Burroughs. Yeah, John mm-hmm. Carter. So I recognized her, and yep. and um, so that was also a really good callback because he and when Tick, there's like a scene five minutes later where Tick is reading this book and he's reading the Princess of Mars, which um, which was the character that he sees in his dream, and this character is played by Jamie Chung, and I think she's gonna have a really mm. significant role later on down in the show. But then I think that's really gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, another really interesting thing with this character is, in this sequence is that one of the monsters that gets killed is by Jackie Robinson. Like, we right. the first Black Major League Baseball player in America, and, like, he uses his bat to kill this monster. So I think it was really amazing. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, so this particular monster, and this episode is about racism. It's like, you, got, you have Jackie Robinson using his bat to, I guess you could say, smash racism. Mm-hmm. And then you have that iconic moment, but then Tick wakes up and he's in a bus and he's in back because the bus is segregated. Right. So it's only him and his black and this other black woman traveling. And so the bus breaks down and they have to get on, they have to walk. And it's like, they would rather walk however many miles it is to get to the town they're going to because it's a whole bunch of white people and there are only two black people and there's no way how they're going to get on the bus with these people. And they doubt, I think part of that also, like I read that as like, they doubt they'll make room for them. Mm-hmm. I, I took that also as him knowing that like they're not going to make room for them or if they do they're not going to let them because he sees them all getting piled into the truck where they're going to sit back on the flat bed of the truck so it's yeah. like oh he already knows that like they're not going to let us ride on there with them they're not going to and it's like why would we like why would we even put ourselves in that situation so it's like yeah they'd rather walk the rest of the way which is like you're walking to Chicago and I don't and I think they just left Kentucky Cause like we see like Kentucky in the yeah, rear view, and I'm just like, that yeah. is a that is a ways to walk. I hope they were able to hitchhike with some black people on their way or something. I, but that is a ways yeah. to walk. But so that whole thing, like I love the dream sequence too. Cause like I'm not super well versed in Lovecraft. I do I have like looked at love. I love the illustrations of Lovecraft monsters. I love picture books, so I've hmm. seen a few picture books with that feature, like, you know, the encyclopedia of Lovecraft, like, like it gives you information about the monsters. I especially um, recognize Cthulhu, the mo- the monster with, like, the tentacles in the mouth and everything. I just always, I lo- it's like Gilmore del Toro, like, I love monster 
um, illustrations in movies mm-hmm. or like how their costumes are designed. So I think it's a very interesting thing. Um, and Lovecraft monsters are very interesting. So that was fun. That was really nice to see in the dream. But like, like you said, like, so it's like his dream has so much going on. It's like, you take a, like you pick out like, okay, there's a war going on. Cause he was a soldier, he's a veteran. So he's dreaming yeah. about still being in a war. And then, then there's monsters and fiction. So you see that he is interested, like his interests are there. And then like the book, cause you said like he's reading the book and then that's there, but then it's also Jackie Robinson just jumping out of nowhere to bash a monster's head in. I was just like, okay, I definitely know this is not the show and this is a dream now because Jackie Robinson just jumping up to to beat a monster confirmed that this was not the show show. This was definitely a dream. Yeah, but, but the other interesting thing about that dream sequence is like, so Atticus is a war veteran and he fought it. So the war that he's fighting, that's the Korean War. Right. And in that war, that was when America was the allies and it was the South Korea versus North Korea. And in that war you had American, it was American Britain were the South Korean allies, like the UN, um, members of the UN were the allies for South Korea. And right. for North Korea, it was the um, the Russians, and I believe it was also the Japanese that were mm-hmm. on the North Korean side. So he was fighting in this war. So the interesting thing is too, is that he's dreaming about this war where he's fighting against these monsters and then he comes back. And as a black man, he's also coming back to, to face racism. So this is another war he's fighting, he's fighting the war of racism. And the thing is, is that with mm-hmm. any black soldier or any soldier of color who has fought in American war is fighting a war for a country that doesn't give two shits about you, excuse my language, but it's true, right? No, like it's they true. have no they have no qualms about sending people of color to fight wars for a country that when they come back, face racism, stigma, get killed, and their families chased out of their homes, get chased out of sundown towns, and it's like, what are you fighting for? Who are you fighting for? Like you're fighting for, uh, and this one was even about democracy, but you know, they say you fight for democracy and it's like, for whom? And when you don't even have it, America doesn't even have its shit together. Like really? The audacity. Right. So, I know. There's a bunch. So that's, There's a yeah, bunch so that's wrong another there. thing. So it's like, he is a black man. He's fighting this war in reality and in his dream and he comes mm-hmm. back and he's fighting the war racism, which is what the whole episode is about because they're fighting mm-hmm. monsters and it's the monster is racism. Right. And and so so we're going to speed through that. So then now finally yeah. we get to Chicago and now we get, this is where we get to see Letitia and Uncle George and um, mm-hmm. Blaida and their daughter Diana. And so Tick is um, Uncle George's nephew from his um, brother. And we get to see this black family and, they're, and the thing with them is like they're what their their what their purpose is in the show is to and what what's centered around them is their their purpose is to be researchers for the green the travel the green was it the traveling green but for Negroes. Yeah, they, it's like a travel agency or something like travel yeah. safely. Yeah, so it's a, it's basically a um, it's a review book and that details places that were safe for black people to stay at and travel and the roads they could travel and also places they can avoid. So it mm-hmm. also said things like sundown towns. And it also, and it, so it was kind of like how the underground railroad operated where like you would have specific locations where black people could stay at for safety and for protection. And mm-hmm. then you have the, the green book which details where black people could stay and where they could avoid. So actually I just literally made that connection as I said it where the mm-hmm. book kind of mimics the, the underground railroad. And so you have Uncle George and Hippolyta, that's their job. They're like, like they travel through the city. They, well, it was Uncle George that first traveled through America and like they mm-hmm. gather research. And what's really, and what I think we should read that's really well in the show is later on down, is they explained that it wasn't just about visiting locations, it was about right. research, right? They gathered mm-hmm. research. And they had different people that would find out about like sheriffs and about towns. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was about learning the history of these towns where they get through. So it's not about just saying, oh, I'm going to say this, this nice and uh, okay, these people are nice. And so because they're not, it's about, okay, so these people are nice, but what about the surrounding town, the surrounding county? Like they had like historical research put into it. So I love that Misha Green showed that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. No, I think that was a very important thing because I guess, one thing for me that stands out for a lot of black period pieces specifically like tv and film is that typically when it takes place in the past there's always there's a lot of them that take place around the civil rights era Mm -hmm. and this is very i think it's very purposely purposefully done in the way that's telling the story is that it doesn't take it takes place prior to the civil rights um 
movement. And I, I say that specifically to like the 1960s civil rights movement um, that a lot of people are familiar with, you know, when people are familiar with Dr. King and Malcolm X, whereas like they, I assume like depending on what time, I think this is like, it's set before, cause I was talking about this with my friend Stephanie and she's like, it's set before Emmett Till's death. Um, so that's like an important thing because like Emmett Till was a young boy who was traveling on his own to see family and he was killed. And I believe like he was killed while he was alone. So it's like one of those things where like, yeah, no, this is, so they're doing very important work because the work they're doing is what saved a lot of black people's lives, knowing that like, this is a sundown town. Don't go here. Like you're safe if you go to this place there. And it's like you said, it's not like a, um, travel and like yeah stay at this bed and breakfast like no this is what people actually use to make sure they could survive and come back home safely so i thought that was important yeah okay so i just looked it up because i had i didn't know the date before and i kind of forgot okay so the korean war lasted three years so ticking back at the end of the korean war which ended in 1953 Mm -hmm. so so that's when um lovecraft country starts so it starts within and it ended in july of 1953 or mm-hmm. it didn't really end because technically the war never ended because they did they, they what they did is they signed an armistice which is kind of mm-hmm. like a ceasefire and they're like technically we're in peace but they're really not because like the war was never officially right. declared to be over this is like and i mean like in 2020 the korean war was never officially declared to be over so it's kind of like an armistice or just like a technical ceasefire um but yeah so like the fight the war ended in 1953 and so this is when Tick is in there. So I'm assuming, let's give or take a month or whatever. Actually, I'm going to stay for later on down in the year. Because what I suspect is that after the war, Tick lived in Korea for a while. So hmm. I'm assuming that, because um, like, at least for now, show the first episode it doesn't give you a specific day or month we don't see anything that indicates whether it's like right. August or September or whatever so I'm gonna say okay if the war ended in July and he lived with this character played by Jimmy Chung because remember and he he calls her and he calls her in like there was, and she told him you mm. should have never gone back so I'm assuming that they mm. knew each other really well and say for instance if they were if they're involved in a relationship or even if they're just friends he stayed in South Korea for at least maybe three, four months. So I'm mm-hmm. going to say that Lovecraft Country starts close to the end of 1952. Mm. Right. That's good. Um, I was going to add something. But do you think this is a good time to transition to episode two? Because I have stuff to, like, I was going to add to what you were saying about uh, Yeah, because let me kind of, because, yeah, because I think you can transition um, episode two to give the brief synopsis to that, and then right. we can talk about both of them at the same time, so right. the themes run over into each other. So, yeah, I'll, so I'll, I'll, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, see what you're going to say. I'm going to look for the synopsis. First. Oh, no, so I, I guess I was just going to go, like, how episode one's with, like, we know it's a sundown town, and then, like, with the whole, with the monsters being with what Tick and Uncle George think the monsters are, are vampires, which, you know, like, they're called something else in Lovecraft, I think, but, like, they're vampires by all like definition of like you bite one thing they turn into another thing they eat humans and flesh whatever um so that and the whole i i just feel a way about like the racist cops getting like eaten and like i just love the black character's self-awareness in the moments Mm -hmm. that the monsters got attacked they that they had enough sense to be like it didn't shoot me. All I had was a light. Oh, they must not be like they're they are the ones who are just like using sense and reasoning throughout this as the police are just like, well, they just so happen not to kill you, huh? I'm like, yeah, because I wasn't firing off guns that were loud. So I just appreciated those moments where like you see where you see Tick and Uncle George like using sense and reason to survive. Yeah, I think that was like Misha Green was going to be mm-hmm. like, listen, we, she's seen enough for fellow black people and see how black people are made to make stupid decisions. And she knows that black people be like, yeah, nah, we're not going to be reacting to those kind of decisions. She was like, this is for you, my black horror fans. This is how mm-hmm. they really behave. Because so too, there's the moment where they're at the table and they were like, we're not going to spit it. And I'm like, yeah. Right. Especially is going on. We're not gonna go and look by ourselves. No, we're going to look, we're gonna travel and stay together as a group. So mm-hmm. yeah. So like in episode one in the in the cabin in the woods, shout out to that film reference. 
Yeah. She, no, like, they, like, the thing was essentially this monstrous vampire. And the the funny, the thing about that scene where it shows like, how ridiculous racism is, like, the, the, the deputy sees the sheriff changing. He's turning mm-hmm. this monster. And he's more concerned with the two black people. Yes. That part. And I, he's like, so... And I, I was talking to the screen because this Bronte militia makes you talk to the to the characters and to the screen. And it was mm-hmm. like, like the man is shooting, shoot him. And I'm like, that's not right. they're so racist that like, it's so ingrained in them. Like they're still suspicious of the two black men rather than the monster literally right inside them, which is the whole which is the whole point of it. It's like like they 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 know like racism is so much a part of their identity and they're so they're hatred for lines them to anything including basic common sense right and right. that's something we see in the police now like where we see uh where people always talk about oh there's a good every like there's good cops out there i'm like really this good cop is this good this good deputy that, that you're gonna see is a good deputy he has a gun train on two black men who have no weapons right innocent who did nothing wrong and there's a monster standing right next to him and he's doing that right and they're still like more concerned about like no 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 not you you can't go or like yeah. there's just so they're they're more th- they feel more threatened by the black people than like being concerned than working with them to survive the night. But like no no no, I'll take that flashlight just in case your theory's right. But I'm just exactly. like wow wow. Well, that's what they deserve what they got. But mm-hmm. yeah, the whole scene of just him like no shoot him he's turning into a monster and he's just like no I can gun on you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was it's that's and that's the whole thing. It's just it's just like racism is this horrible monster that blinds people to any kind of common mm-hmm. sense like it you see but it's your downfall it's their downfall on our people exactly you see people as a threat people who are doing nothing to you as a threat and the world mm-hmm. danger you're in the ignorance so like it's also showing the stupidity of racism as well mm-hmm. and like you know you when i say stupidity is like it, it's stupid like you got a monster next to you you're, like it's just like that scene really i was like that scene was like to me a really good scene it's so subtle and yeah it's like, are, are you like people who are watching this do you understand what she's saying do you understand mm-hmm. what the point of this is but also the amazing thing about that scene is Letitia and she oh, runs yeah. like out to the car and again I think that's what Michigan was also like no falling down on no on no tree branches that suddenly no. suddenly appear on no roots or anything like she's gonna take this run and she's gonna run like you same boat I called her Flojo I was like she mm-hmm. ran like Flojo to, to that car got in peeling got them yep. got them two men are peeled out and it was like yes well and then well eventually she didn't really peel it because like the car crashed into the cabin but right. she made a valiant attempt. Like Leticia motherfucking Lewis was the MVP yep. of the episode. Actually, oh yeah, even in the ep- even in the episode, episode two. She's yeah, like, the diner was a great scene too. She the just diner was a great out. scene. How she just bust out like, "Get up, we got to go!" And I was just like, "This is like the blackest line ever," and I love it. And this is yes. it. Like I'm, I'm not gonna quote it for work, but like. It was just the best because she has the self-awareness to be like, uh-uh, no, this is suspicious. We need to go. But just like what we were talking about, having the self-awareness like as a Black person when you walk into a white space and knowing when you aren't welcomed and then also having that sixth sense of just knowing that like, nope, time to leave. Yeah. She was amazing. I love like Journey Smollett yeah. is owning this series. When you watch the remaining she is like, Jonathan Majors is really good. Jonathan Majors is mm-hmm. amazing as Atticus, but to me, Journey Smola is owning her character. Oh, she does great. She's owning this. She's owning She's this stealing the scenes. I think between her and Courtney Vance, I think they steal the scenes very well. And they like, do. they just dominate it. And I mean, I, I, I like um, the actor who plays Tick. I think they are great. But we could gush about the actors all day. So yeah, I think we're at a good point to just like transition into episode two then. Mm. Yeah, so the synopsis for episode two is inexplicably recovered from their terrifying night. Letty, George, Letty and George luxury in their new surroundings while Atticus grows suspicious of their Ardham Lodge. And to mm. Christina Braithwaite, played by Adelie, and her elusive father Samuel, played by Tony Goldman, who unveiled cryptic plans for Atticus's role in their upcoming Sons of Adam ceremony. Later, after take that makes no sense. <laughs> Later, t- Stumble upon a coup that can lead them to Montrose. Each takes an unwelcome walk down memory lane. Yes. So this mm-hmm. episode again picks up right where um, episode one ended because episode one ended with them finding Artem Lodge, and 
Mm-hmm. And, and it picks up of them staying inside the lodge. So in the room, so it's in, at the beginning, it's like there's Letty and George are living it up. Like yep. Jefferson's that I said in my review. And they're That's like, George is, in, <laughs> George is in Nerd Have me reading these books. And Letty, and Letty is like, she's like swanning all around the room, dancing, wearing all these expensive dresses and gowns and everything. And they're playing the theme song from, Jeff, from the Jeffersons. And I thought that was utterly hilarious. And I just loved it. And it was such a carefree moment. Mm-hmm. But then it's like not going to last for long because nothing in this show is as it seems. And as Stick later says, when have white people ever been truly welcome to black people? Right. So, like, you immediately realize something's up with this house and something's up with the guy who's their host, William. And I called him, and he's like Hitler's wet dream of the perfect Aryan. Tall, Mm -hmm. muscular, perfectly coiffed, platinum blonde hair, blue eye, perfect diction. And, you know, he looks all put together. He looks almost like a mannequin. If this was a sci-fi show, he would be an AI, you know? And so there's that. And so then they find out the house and they're saying is a replica of this building of the original house that burned down in 1833. And it was owned by Titus Braithwaite, who is Christina's um, great, 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 whatever grandfather. And of course, you know, 1833, but this massive house, there's only one way could have done that. And that was by, by being a... Tr- a trader in this in the transatlantic slave trade. So of course, you know, generational wealth acts of black people. And um, mm-hmm. so that's how this episode goes. And this episode is about it's about family history and um, bloodlines and ancestry. And right. a lot of biblical references and talks about sexism and deception mm-hmm. and you know and how black people are seen as animals by certain people so this episode like kind of from the first one where it talks about racism kind of brings that over but then also talks about generational trauma and it talks about the things like the slave trade which again was how racism against black people anyway in america really started with uh, with the with the um slave trade mm-hmm. yes so I have so many thoughts about like all the biblical references in this episode because I'm glad you brought that up because so as we're going to jump around here a little bit here and there, but it's the ceremony that they want to use Atticus for him to be the conduit for um, the sons of Adam, whatever. Um, what is Tony Goldwyn's character's name? Mr. Breakwise. So he wants to use him as a way, as a conduit or a sacrifice to open the gates to Eden so that he can get immortality, which... And in the scene when that happens, one, I think it's very interesting that you that Atticus sees his ancestor there. So like to what you're talking about, like how bloodlines and all like all these different things and how that played a role. What really got me was when everyone at first I thought they got turned to stone, but I really do think they got turned to salt because if you're anyone's familiar with the story of Lot's wife. Mm. How she turned and she so the whole thing is that she looked back. And God said, "Don't look back." And then she was turned to she was t- turned to salt because she was deemed unworthy. So yeah. I took that as in this moment when the everyone in the room but Atticus was turned to salt. It is because everyone in that room but him was unworthy. No, I'll tell you why that I thought it was salt at first, but then I realized it was ash not only because of the fire. But okay, so the biblical reference you're talking about was um, Sodom and Gomorrah were lost by turn. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that she was found unworthy, it was that she disobeyed God. God right. said, do not look back under any circumstances, just keep walking, just keep looking forward. So right, but she was found unworthy because she looked back. But no, it wasn't right. that she was found unworthy, she was disobedient. There, there's a difference. So, mm-hmm. but the reason I, say I believe it's ash is because it was fire. So... If you're gonna use the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, I would say it was asked more than anything for the Sodom and Gomorrah reference, and because they turned, they were destroyed by fire and brimstone. But mm. I, it was, I think, it was asked because the original house was destroyed by fire, and his ancestor appeared in fire, so he was burned. Mm. They were destroyed by the fire that, and also because of the, the biblical reference of Adam and he, the, and right. So I mentioned this in my review, which I'm also gonna link at the end um, in the online um, blog, is. The thing with um, Eden is after Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden, God 
moved Eden off of Earth and he kind of put it into a, what we would call a, a separate plane of existence, somewhere that humans cannot access. And in the Bible says it is guarded by archangels with flaming swords. So the reason I think it's also actually because when he tried to gain entry, they destroyed it by fire because of their sword, their flaming sword of fire. And mm-hmm. the, the the whole thing is just like these. This I saw it as him being a colonizer and his white his white supremacist his white his racist yes. idea his racist ideology and and his and he's so interested in white supremacy. He believes that he's perfect. That he is who Adam was before man fell. And he in his in his belief of perfection thinks that he's worthy of entering at Eden once more again. And I'm like, yeah, no colonizer. Because that's right. what he is. He's so he was unworthy. Man. Exactly. He's a white man trying to go up into on into untouched territory and trying to claim it as his own. And he is unworthy because the Bible says, which I like it's hilarious. He thinks he's perfect and everything, but the Bible says after Adam and Eve were cast, so every man that was born after he was born is sin and shaped in iniquity. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you sir, with your sinful self trying trying to enter into Eden is not going to happen because you anything that is sinful cannot enter into Eden. And it's like, no, you're not going to get there anyway. And then it's also him trying to use the body of a black man to gain entry, right? Right. He's using tick as a as a conduit, and it's like you're going to try to use this black man's body to to do your purposes. He's only a tool for you, right? He he didn't mm-hmm. see Tick as, and then there's also the coming up about Tick being too dark because he's like, oh, he's, I guess he, right, there's the colorism. There right, he said, I thought he would be, I didn't think he would be dark, or I thought he would dark. be lighter, but this yeah. dark, right? No, I agree yeah, with that. So I mean, I think whole, there's a whole colorist aspect of it too. Yeah, and I think what I like about this is that there's so many biblical references in it, and like, mm-hmm. like you said, like with Lot's wife, it's because she disobeyed and she looked back at the life that she had longed for. And like the way I was taught is that she was deemed unworthy to be saved and thus turned to a pillar of salt. And I think of it, that's why I related to them as like, yeah, no, he, they, everyone in that room, except for Atticus was deemed unworthy. And also it's like salt, ash, one of the two. But I do, th- I like how they're blending um, these biblical references in there because like for, it, it makes it very interesting to pull things out because like now we're like, now we know that there's something special about Atticus and yeah. his bloodline. And I think, also think of like the story of Hagar of like how I think I'm thinking of the right person where like she's cast out she's pregnant she goes and gives birth to a baby when you think of Atticus's ancestor Mm. um like leaving her slave owners running away not she wasn't technically cast out but it's like it's the story of like this um, not Hagar. Hagar. Oh, no, it is Hagar. It's, it's, it is it's Hagar. Hagar. It's yeah. funny you mention it because so the illegitimate child. Well, pe- right. So it's like people will think of like the illegitimate child, but I'm like, no, he's a product of rape. But like they're like that child is a product of rape because she was a slave and she ran away from the slave masters and everything. But it's the idea of this woman who's pregnant, running away, like running away from this life that she had that was abusive. Mm-hmm. and like to get a better life to take care of her and her child and I think that's very symbolic too as a biblical reference in there I'm like I'm just interested to see if there will be more biblical references in the show um that could probably hint at the plot um like and I, I think of it as because like there's some now we know there's something special about Atticus mm-hmm. I'm interested to know more because I think the whole the thing with the whistle with the Braithwites and everything where like he didn't forget the what happened the night before George and Letitia they forgot when after they heard the whistle ring yeah. or whatever so it makes me think like is it because he has Braithwaite's bloodline in him that makes him immune to them or is it something is it that and is it something else about him that makes him spe- even more special than the Braithwaite's that makes him more worthy than them I because, think it's the mother in particular yes like his lineage from his because, mother. Like he like he he um what's his name? Samuel Braithwaite burned up too and he has tick, Yeah, he died. Um, blood. He has ticks um like tick is part of his blood his ancestry. Right. So I don't think tick it's tick just is the that. only heir him. of that blood of Samuel Braithwaite. That's what exactly. makes him so, so special the to them. Mother's bloodline. So I think it's gonna be super amazing where mm-hmm. all of this is gonna hinge on the bloodline of a black woman. And yes. I think that's what it is because, like, I, like we, we discussed it in the um, season um, episode one. It, uh, like, uh, it goes where no, this is our episode two, where his um, his ancestor, his maternal ancestor, who's Hannah mm-hmm. from his mother's side, she's oh, the person who another appears. Name. Yeah, her name is Hannah. 
she appears in the like to him as let's just as like a vision and leads him out of the crumbling house in a ring mm-hmm. of fire she's by fire she leads him up and i just think it's amazing that this as don't because if they had said oh from his father's side but though it's his mother in particular so if this whole thing right. changes on the strength of black women because you're going to have Letitia, right. you're also going to have her sister ruby you're going to have mm-hmm. Hippolyta, you're going to have um you're also going to have Diana. I think we're also going to get some some interesting stuff with and Diana mm-hmm. and Hippolyta. So if you if it would be amazing if this whole series is about the strength of Black women, and it's not about Black women supporting anyone else. It's just about the strength of Black women and about the and the vulnerabilities of Black women too. Because like mm-hmm. for Letty, like she's super strong, she's badass, but we got to we, we get to see her vulnerable right. too. She has abandonment issues. Yeah, exactly. And so like that, so you're mentioning that is another is gonna go into another part of the show, which I think is a for the episode, which was a biblical reference for me, is mm-hmm. so like they're in these rooms and um what's her face's name? <laughs> Christina is get, making these these illusions. And one mm-hmm. of these illusions appears to Letty as tick. And oh right. He kind of I think he kind of like puts her into like this kind of trance. Mm -hmm. she just like starts talking about like he started to recite the Lord's prayer which she had said the um, the night before and Mm -hmm. which she had used to like encourage herself to to run from the monsters and go to the car and he starts saying and she starts repeating and then she starts like just like in a trance in this trance like we talking about her her history and like her abandonment issues with her mother how long she used to feel and this like super uncomfortable thing happens where they start making out and then I'm like, oh, but then I just got this really weird feeling in my stomach. I'm like, this is going to be bad. And he stands right. up and his wing, and I'm like, what the fucking, what the hell is going on, Tari? And it's a freaking snake. And it's not just any snake. It's the snake, mm-hmm. it's the serpent from the Garden of Eden. And right. behind them is a stained glass window of Adam and Eve, white people, mm-hmm. blonde Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And right. The snake isn't just there, but the snake is Adam's penis. And this mm-hmm. is a callback to the discussion earlier where um, Samuel's talking about how he's Adam, and then Christina's talking about how Adam, how um, Samuel believes that a woman is a little fall of man and, and everything. But I found this interesting because for me, it showed that Christina herself has this whole, has a problem with how she, like, we know she's a white feminist and she's, she, her thing is about she mm. wants to be included in these spaces that she's blocked from as a woman. And she's all that she's so powerful and she's more powerful than her father, but because she's not a woman, she's not allowed into their voice club. So she right. has this thing about mistrusting men. And I saw her using the snake as a representation of how men are deceitful and how men are dangerous towards women. Mm. And another thing about that is like, like growing up in the church, we always heard about um, Adam and even though like, we, we, we were taught that after right. he deceived Adam, listen to the sermon and she got Adam to eat of forbidden fruit. That's what led to them being cast out of, out of Eden and like women right. being um, cursed with like painful periods and painful childbirth. The men were cast, men were cursed to toil in the fields, and then also the mark, mark of their um one of their offspring which is you people say to be black people i think that's going to get discussed later on down in season two but mm. the interesting thing to me is like for me personally i always used to say and i still say it's like it wasn't his fault that we got cast out of the garden it was adam's fault because god told adam to protect eve he said mm. he, he his job was to protect her she was from his rib his job was to protect her at the garden and if he right. knew that the serpent was deceitful he should have told he, he his job was to warn her and protect her and to keep an eye out for her and he didn't so he no he throws her under the bus he exactly. says it, it like the woman made me eat it and i'm just like i remember because my dad's a, my dad's a pastor he often like quotes that part and it's just like you threw the person you were supposed to protect under the bus like you literally blame her mm-hmm. for it happening and it's just like you were told what to do as well you knew not to do it it's not that she it's not that you weren't unaware of it but you also were told not to do it so exactly you are just as responsible it is so it i, I think that's a very interesting point of like them choosing to put the snake there and position it at that part that appendage of the body because exactly. i think it is definitely calling out at some like you know it's the dece- it's deceitful it's also like uh, in the moment where she says stop or wait and then like 
we like immediately obviously we knew at that point that that's not him yeah but it's in that moment for her that like she it's like it's how women are put in that position of fear when it comes to sexual assault and rape and it's just like being betrayed or just or um what is the word not um deceived Mm -hmm. and that way of just like you you, this is someone i am trusting but like when i'm like trying to consent when you're consenting or when you're taking you know like you're telling like i don't want to and then like like to be taken forcefully i'm like yeah that that's a very sharp image right there like to, to put to put the snake there i think that was a very i think that was very 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 smart and i think that was a great scene for that and then oh but since we're talking about their hallucinations, uh, they're like so again, like you said, adding to what you said about the previous episode, episode one, I I agree with your theory. Like, there's something that happened when he stayed over there for a year or however long he stayed there. But there's something that happened because he's like, when they come out the rooms, and Uncle George is like. That who'd you make, who'd they make you see? And then like you could tell that Atticus has some trauma related mm-hmm. to the person that he saw. At first, I think people could assume like, oh, it was a soldier that he had killed in the war or that he fought, or it's just a random soldier. But like, no, I think it, I think it means something. I think she plays a significant role in his PTSD. And I think that's just like something that I'm interested to learn more about. I do. I will say though, I love Uncle George. I understand what he's trying to do for Atticus by telling him, like, no, remember who you are. You're a good boy. You're, you are a good boy. You're an even better man. And he's like, you know, he loves him. But I'm like, Atticus needs to talk about this with someone. And he's trying to. Please let him talk about his feelings, please. Anybody? But well, maybe that'll thing, be legit. Well, the, the thing, well, two things about that. The, the, the woman, I think the, the woman that he was fighting in the room is the same person that he spoke to on the phone. Cause she was mm, a Korean, yes. she was Korean, so that was Jamie Chuck. But she wasn't speaking mm-hmm. Korean. Um, so my friend said, because I didn't have all my subtitles, so my friend said that what came across the screen is she was speaking the language of Adam. So she was yeah. speaking the original language, which is, I guess, what um, um, Samuel and those guys were speaking during the ceremony. So that mm-hmm. was interesting because that's also how you know that it was Christina who did it because she doesn't know um, Hangul, so she doesn't know Korean, so she can't make the illusion speak a language she doesn't understand or she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So she she knows the language of Adam, so that's what the, the, the illusion spoke. But, so my theory with this character who is played by Jamie Chung, so this is the, 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 the Korean, so she was a Korean soldier or she's mm-hmm. wearing a Korean so um uniform of a Korean soldier. And she was also the woman in the beginning who was the princess of Mars. So I think he has not only I think maybe they started out as enemies or not necessarily enemies because they would have been allies, unless she's a oh wait, hold on. Unless she was a North Korean soldier. Mm. So yeah, because if they're South Korean, they wouldn't be fighting against each other because they would have been allies. So I'm wondering if she's a North Korean soldier who's hiding out in South Korea. Mm, okay. I'm guessing that's what happened because that's how they would end up fighting each other. So, but it also seems that she understands what's going on because you remember on the phone call, she said you should have never gone back. So I'm wondering if she also knows something about his family history which would be interesting because that means that he would have shared stuff with her, but how could he? Because he's not discovering this stuff for himself. Mm. So I'm wondering if it has to do with his relationship with his father and what he told her about his father, or if there's just something else that we just don't know. Anyway, so there's that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so the thing with Uncle George is like, yeah, I like how Uncle George is encouraging to them because he's like, don't let them see your freak and that's, that, that's how they win. But I do agree about him not um, letting Tick speak. But that also calls back into a scene earlier where they're talk rare, he and Letty, because they don't remember what happened. They're wondering if he has PTSD. And Tick is like, no, I don't have PTSD. Or they would have called it shell shock because that's what it would refer to back then. And he's like, no, I don't have shell shock. I know what's going on. And like back then in the 1950s, like people didn't really understand post-traumatic stress. They didn't understand how it manifested. They didn't understand how it, how it affected soldiers and like if they would have had hallucinations, visions, or like any emotional mental stress they went through. So him not letting to speak, speak, I think, is also like you said, if if it was about him, the PTSD, it was about him maybe not understanding 
that there's two different things going on. There's the PTSD, mm. but then there's also the, the stress of what is happening to him now. So it's also interesting right. to see how that's going to play out, how all of this stress he's going through is going to um, is going to affect him combined with what he went through in the war. So I'm thinking it's mm. going to have to be a super heavy toll on him. Um, so yeah, so so we're going to have to so we're gonna wrap up. So um, right. so we're and so for wrapping up, we're going to. Um, we're gonna give like what we think is gonna happen. I can't really share too much of what I think oh. for the next episode. So I kind of know what happens in episode five. I just want to add one last thing about episode two. Totally mm-hmm. call that I was gonna say about episode one. Totally call the death flag and Uncle George. Just thought it was gonna be episode one. Was ah, surprised. Okay. I thought after we got through episode one, we were gonna be in the clear at least for a few episodes. But surprised they killed him off in episode two. Sad. I I saw I did not see that coming at all either. I yeah, was like, I was, what? I, mean, I thought really he was gonna make throw. it. I really thought he was gonna make it. You was know, after episode one. Material for goodness sake. I know, I know, but you know, you <laughs> gotta. And these things, we knew somebody was gonna die. I just like, I see that death flag. I I, I did not see it coming from Uncle George. I kind of figured if he he if he doesn't, he would get like super injured. I wouldn't be able to take part, but I. Thought it would happen like later on down in the series, but she mm-hmm. took him on in episode two. And like Misha Green sent a tweet was it was Misha, no it wasn't Misha Green it was Jerry Small that she sent a tweet she was like no one is safe. I'm like excuse me. Oh dang. But what per Don and moi to the play? How do you mean no one is safe? Well, like, what, is she gonna be like a Game of Thrones take all the main characters like one one actually check back and back. I guess we gotta look forward to season three. I mean like this show is just like it is a great sci-fi horror suspenseful thriller that mm. you are happy to be anxious about w- while watching like i don't know how to describe it, it. it's i i'm so excited to there i've seen people say that they like to them it's like it's kind of all over the place and whatever but i kind of see what is happening but i that i think that's also because of having the benefit of seeing the screeners so i've seen up to so far, so I, I I had the benefit of seeing how the story for the whole thing comes kind of comes together, but overall I am really excited to see the storyline with um, Hippolyta and Diana because and I'm also really excited to see more about mm. her sister because I'm like there is this thing with colorism that is gonna have to come into play and I'm oh, waiting yeah. to see how that gets discussed later on down in the series. Um, in the season, sorry, and um, because I will say when when I first saw the casting, and I was like, okay, you have Journey Smollett, who's we all know is um, thinner, and she she's light skin. She has like you know what you would call more European esque, and then you also have the actress playing her sister, and when me Masaku, who plays Ruby, who's like she's larger, she's she's um she's more she's a plus size dark skin black woman, she's larger. And mm-hmm. I kind of bothered me with um, Journey's casting. I'm like, why do we have to have the lead be a light skin character? And then I saw, and then I was like, you know what? If she's dealing with things like racism and and, right. and issues in the black community, colorism is gonna have it's gonna play into that. So I it then is, I kind yeah. of saw. I'm like, okay, I can see I can see where she's going with this cast this yeah this storyline, especially episode one, where you have this it's a small interaction between the two sisters, but you can see they have some animosity towards them. And mm-hmm. Letty as a character, where it comes, she has a spot when it comes to colors. Because she does her her appearance, um, a leg up in certain situations. She does privilege she has as a light-skinned black woman. Interesting to see how that plays out in later episodes. So I'm really looking forward to with this yeah. show. And so for you, we'll end up with what you with what you're looking forward to for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I like I was gonna actually touch on that too. Just like I'll lightly add to what you mentioned about Letty and her family. I mean, it's very clear there's some animosity towards Letty from her sister and her brother. When you first think it's just about, you know, the mother's death and her, I'm assuming either not helping or just not being there at all when the mother died mm. um for the funeral cost and everything, because let um her sister very much makes it known like just a fact, but it's just something I have to do. That's why, that's why I don't have any money. Like, the, like you know, she kind of, like, lets her know. But she has every right to, like, voice that and everything. But I think, like, after you see her brother, and you just see the way that both her siblings treat her, you can tell that there's some 
there's a, there's a lot of family hurt going on in there. Mm-hmm. I do, and like, but after like Letty opens up about her mother and her abandonment issues, there, I'm I'm really interested in seeing where all of this is gonna go because I just feel like her siblings can just see her as oh that's just Letty she goes off and does whatever she wants and this and that. But I'm like, there's definitely more to Letty than that. I I, I truly believe that especially if the other siblings just didn't see their mother in the way that they saw that Letty saw her. Mm-hmm. So I feel like as much as this is a story about Atticus, I think this is a story about Letty's own family's history and like her yeah. own family. So I'm interested to see more about that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the next episode that looks like we're going to see more of everyone's family, you know, like more of Uncle George's wife, Hippolyta and his daughter Diana, and also Letty's sister. So I think that's going to be interesting, especially with the whole moving to the north side of Chicago. All I have to tell you is episode three, Brace Yourself, because that one had me good. I'm expecting for a lot. And there, when I, let me tell you, there was a moment in there, I was like, I paused and I'm like, "Mm -mm, I cannot watch you at night. I'm going to come back and watch you during Mm. the day. I'm going to watch it during the day at midday because I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. I'm excited for it. It's gonna yeah, be we'll good. get we'll get into that in our um in our recap. So right. Again, and then, thank you. Oh, sorry. sorry I just want to add. No, I'm like, and then I guess like I'm going to be. I'm just gonna call it now since Uncle George kind of said it before he died. Um, Atticus could probably be Uncle George's son. Mm, I don't think. It's or if he's hinting at someone else because if he just made that else. comment, I think it's yeah, someone else. I think it could be someone else, but. Because there's the whole hallucination that Uncle George has, and I'm assuming that is Atticus's mother. And um, Dora, her name was Dora. I think it was Dora. Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't think they said her name before. I need to go back and watch both episodes to be sure. I think it's only mentioned once when when he asks Montrose Atticus that why don't you draw? Why why did he stop drawing pictures of Dora? Mm, Yep. And there we go. Then it is Dora. So interesting. Like we're gonna learn if there was a love triangle between the brothers and Atticus's so, mother. Though. I don't think I. It, it, that's what it's implying, but I don't think so. I just his, that is I gonna think, be really a surprise. I think. I mean, when I say love triangle, I can still think there's a love triangle and it not be Uncle George as the father. But I'm yeah. like, I think we'll learn that there is some drama because the three of them grew up, and you can tell that she was very fr- his hallucination of her. So I'm assuming mm-hmm. his remembrance of her. They had some kind of friendship if yeah. not romantic relationship at one point yeah so if he had a romantic relationship and then he still had her picture in his wallet and he's married yeah show her I'm like, i hope he didn't cheat i just don't want him to cheat on her but his wife seems young so we'll see but interesting interested to learn more about atticus and his lineage and all the other things but yeah that's where yeah, I'm going to Yeah, I think there's a, there in episode three. There's a clue to um to his lineage with regards to Uncle George or Montrose, or whatever. But mm-hmm. even that still doesn't make me think that he necessarily is his dad. Right. It's like a fifty-fifty for me right now. Yeah, I think there's a different angle to that. Um, so that's that's our recap of episode one and episode two of Lovecraft Country. And for our next recap, which will be of episode three and four, we will have a special guest with us to recap episode um, three and four. And you can look towards that for the remainder of the season. So every two weeks we'll do a recap. And we'll just, as, we'll, as we discuss now, as we did before, we'll discuss like the certain themes that we see and how they react and how they relate to the black community and how we, and how we're enjoying the show and our theories for the upcoming episodes. And you can read my reviews on comicsbeat.com when this goes up there will only be two episodes um two sorry two recaps published and you can look forward you can look forward to those weekly recaps and for lanisha you can tell us what's going on with you and anything special you have going on with your other podcast did you have to i know you have some really cool interviews and stuff going on so yeah um i got a few interviews that are up coming down the pipe soon i can't speak on anything just yet but mm-hmm. you know what y'all just keep your eyes out for that like recently kate and i um interviewed Yadoy, uh travis and his new episode not episode his new podcast um from country roll about anime in america so that one i really love that Yadoye is hilarious y'all like just go follow him and go listen to the podcast if you've ever been 
interested in knowing a lot more about the culture and history of anime in America. But besides that, that's about it. Mm-hmm. And with that, y'all can follow us over at SHWH underscore pod on Twitter. You can follow me also at LA underscore NEY underscore SHA. And Carolyn, where can I find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12. That's C A R R I E C N H 12. And I'm trying to be more, I'm, I, I think I've been doing a good job of being more present on Instagram where I, like, I'm posting links to, to the recaps and stuff that we're doing. I think I've, been, I've gotten better at doing that. Mm-hmm.